Well, good morning. Good to see you. Well, let me give you a moment. Good morning. Try that again. Good to see you all. Yeah, never know who's going to show up for the 1145 and honored to have you all here. Uh, we started with two. So we've like more than quadrupled since the service has began. Love that. Um, man, thanks for being here. Seriously, uh, honored to, to be here with you in this time. We are continuing the Redemption Stories sermon series, as you heard earlier. And I'm excited about that. Today we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Philippians chapter 3. Um, as always, if you don't have a Bible or forgot yours and want to follow along, we put the Bibles under the seats around you. Um, feel free to grab one of those. And if, uh, if you don't own a copy of God's Word, that's our free gift to you. That Bible belongs to you now. Put your name in it, take it home. And uh, that's your Bible now. Uh, as we get ready to get started, a couple things by way of announcement. Um, one, as you walked in, you probably had a hard time missing the new lighting box there with graphics from the master site plan. Um, we, uh, this last week, rolled out a, a video blog kind of explaining that on our website and on Facebook. So if you want to look into that, feel free to check that out. Um, but here's the short of it. We put those images up uh, so that we would get excited. And, uh, but what we don't want to do is we don't want to be excited about buildings. Uh, the buildings that we build in the future may or may not look like the pictures in that box. That's a, that's a picture of what could be. But what we want to get excited about are the amazing redemption stories that God is going to write between now and then with the people's lives who are going to show up. And so we want to get excited about what God is doing here at the church, not about buildings, but about people and about God bringing redemption to the lives of many people in our community. So feel free to stop by there. Again, if you want a longer explanation, uh, check out the video blog for just a quick run through of what's on that on that uh, lighting board. Um, also want to introduce you to somebody that you may already know. Um, we heard his redemption story last week, Ryan Petchel. Uh, he is going to be taking over as our greeting team leader. And, uh, and so over the last year, uh, the greeting team has been under the leadership of Brooke Howerton. Um, she has done an amazing job. If you've had a chance to serve with her on that team, you already know that. Um, and so we're so thankful for her ministry to the, through the greeting ministry here at the church. Um, but she is with child, and that family is just growing by leaps and bounds. I lost count, four, five, six, I don't know how many boys they have. But, um, but she's ready to spend more time being mom and, and that ministry. And so um, she's going to be passing the baton to Ryan Petchel. He'll be leading the greeting team going forward. So if you're not on the greeting team, don't be surprised if the guy on the screen right here approaches you and tries to recruit, recruit you to be on his team. Uh, he is going to be leading that, and, and I'm excited about that as well. All right, so Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to start this morning, continuing with the Redemption Story sermon series. So today, the sermon title is Trusting in Jesus Alone. If you're a regular here, that's not a new phrase to you, and I hope that it's not a new phrase to you if you're not a regular. But we're going to talk about what it means to let go of our trust of things in this world, even good things, to take hold of Christ and trust in him alone. And so we're going to talk today about, first of all, what it means to place our trust in the flesh, which is ourselves, the things that we can control, the things we can accomplish, the things that we can earn. We're going to be looking at the story of the Apostle Paul. And, uh, and so Philippians 3, the first six verses, begins with this really impressive resume. As the Apostle Paul lays out for his readers all the reasons why, if anybody has a reason to trust in their ability, what they can do, the Apostle Paul had that right privilege to do so. He's going to say, listen, here's my resume. Here's where I was respected in religious circles. Here's where I was admired and esteemed in the political arena. Here's where I, I, was, I was known and well thought of and admired by 
by the people of our culture. He's going to say, for all of this, though, I found something better. And so in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7, we're going to begin this conversation. Here's what Paul has to say. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, for our conversation today, I want to give you maybe a mental picture to think of. I want you to think of life as a journey, and not a journey down a path or down a road, but a journey down a river. And at the end of life's journey is a waterfall that we're all destined to go over, the waterfall of death. Now, along the way, we work hard to keep ourselves afloat. We attach ourselves to things around us. We attach our things to, ourselves to a certain group of friends, and we find, uh, find hope in that. We attach ourselves to a career, an identity, and a position. And so we, along the way, are looking for things to find hope in as we look down the way at this inevitable waterfall that we all face. And this is what we mean by trusting in ourselves or putting hope or trust in the flesh. And so what the Apostle Paul is going to say is that as he journeyed down life's river, he surrounded himself with all kinds of things to find hope in. Again, in the religious arena, he had... had, attached his life to this identity that was well-respected. He was a who's who in his education, in his ability to perform, in his ability to, to gain acceptance. The Apostle Paul is going to say in the first six verses of Philippians 3, I surrounded myself with tons of things to keep me afloat. Unlike other people around me who were scrounging for approval, scrounging for acceptance, I had it all, this river of life but I encountered something that caused me to let go of the things in this world. I like what he says. He says, whatever gain I had. So it's not that the apostle Paul didn't experience gain in the things in this life, right? He admits it. I had gain. Let's think about it for a minute. What gain we acquire in our own strength, right, in our flesh here on earth. Let me just run through a list of things. I think the first one of the first things we all learn in life is how to gain the applause of man starting probably, for most of us, with our parents. What do I need to do to get mom and dad to applaud me? So we bring home a straight-A report card, right? Mom and dad, good job. That feels good. Well, I like the way that feels, so if I want that applause, I know what to do. I've got to work hard, right, to bring home the straight-A report card. Or when I excel in athletics or, or in performance of some kind, dance or whatever it is, and the people applaud, that feels good, doesn't it? There's gain in that. So, but, but here's the thing. If I want that applause, I have to work hard and perform to get it. Right? Applause from teachers. I have the answer. I did my homework. I turned it in. Teachers applaud us. Feels good, right? To be admired and respected, to have somebody over you in leadership acknowledge you. 
But the problem is, is that when we hang our hope and our identity, our security on these kinds of things, in the end, they'll let us down. What happens if the teacher's having a bad day? And you still perform well, you still did your homework, you still know your answers, but you're not getting any applause. What happens to your joy, your security is just crushed. What happens when you bring home that straight A report card and maybe mom and dad had a horrific fight that day and they're so consumed with what's going on between them that they don't acknowledge you and they don't applaud you. Now all of a sudden, what you did to gain that applause isn't good enough, so what do you have to do? You gotta work harder. Not realizing that, right? Mom and dad are so focused on themselves right now. It's not me, it's them. Another thing that we do is we work on contingent acceptance. Every person in this room knows this game. Learn it in adolescence. How do I get accepted? And there's a good chance every person in this room at some point has done something really foolish and really desperate to gain the acceptance, the contingent acceptance of another an individual or a certain group of people or maybe an athletic team you played on, maybe a teacher, a parent, maybe even a Sunday school teacher. And so you, you worked hard to gain a contingent, except I'm accepted as long as. That's what we mean by contingent. We learn this amongst our peers all the time, right? As long as I portray the person I think you want me to be, you'll accept me. And you'll invite me to go with you to the movies with the friends or I'll get to go hang out with you here. And as long as you don't get to know the real me, I continue the game up, the facade, portraying this image that I think you want to see, right? I have your contingent acceptance. But God forbid, if you ever find out who I really am, you'll no longer accept me. It's such a dangerous thing when we carry that into adulthood and we bring it into relationships like marriage. I'll love you as my wife and I'll serve you as long as you do these things. I'll love you as a wife. I'll respect you as my husband. I'll follow your lead as long as, right, contingent acceptance. Equally destructive and devastating when we bring it into parenting. We bring in this need to be accepted by our children and we begin to compromise principles and and, and this vision we have for the family. Why? Because we want to be accepted by our children and we have to earn their contingent acceptance. Another false gain that we pursue is a temporary sense of security in the things around us, right? So we, we bring insecurity to the table. So we look around us, what do I have to work with? Again, excelling in certain things, anything to make us feel secure in the moment. And we know it's temporary. Why? Because we all go home at night and we lay our head on the pillow. And in those moments of real honesty, we cry out. We know we're not secure. There's a waterfall coming. There's an end coming. There's something that I have to face that I have no control over. I can control these little things to make me feel secure for the moment. But in the end, in the end, I can't fix me. I can't rescue me from what's coming. And then what I like to call the illusion of comfort, such an irony in life, happens on a daily basis for most of us. We get up in the morning, usually earlier than we want to get up. We, uh, we put on clothes, usually more formal than we really want to put on. 
Uh, we drive to work a job we really aren't necessarily excited about. We work hard. We go hard. We work hard. Why? At the end of the day, we come home hoping for what? Just a moment of comfort. I just want a moment to unplug, to just be, to just sit. And we work hard all day long at the list of things that we have to knock out so that at the end of the day, we can have this moment of comfort. But the reality is what? If you make it there, you're so tired, you're so worn out, or you're so consumed with what you have to do tomorrow to make it to that same point, right, that you don't even get to enjoy that moment of comfort. It's the illusion of comfort. We do it on a weekly basis. We work hard all week long for the weekend. I mean, if I could just get one day, if I could just get a half a day, right, just, just a few hours out on the golf course or a few hours reading my book or just, just a moment of comfort. It's this illusion that we're under and we're chasing after it week after week after week. And how many times have we finish the weekend thinking, where did the time go? I don't feel comfortable. I'm stressed out because i got to start this whole thing over again tomorrow. We see it over the span of life, don't we? Working hard, building careers, saving money, making investments. This illusion of comfort that one day we'll get to the end and we'll tap out, we'll hit retirement, and these will be golden days. But the reality is you're, we're so maybe old or decrepit or, right, don't have much time left to actually enjoy this illusion of comfort. Again, a false game we pursue here in this life in our own strength. But what Paul is saying here is that whatever gain I had, there was gain, acceptance, approval, applause, security, job security, cultural security, plenty of friends. I mean, this is a guy who had friends with all the politicians who hated Christians. Then he became a Christian, so all of them turned on him, but he built a whole bank of friends that were Christians. No trouble building friendships here. Now, he does a lot to destroy those friendships, but, but this is a guy who was accepted. He's saying, whatever gain I had, I actually now consider it not as gain, but as loss. I found a better gain. I found a better gain. And so now he's going to contrast his gain that he had on earth with the gain that he has now in Christ. So he says, I counted, I counted it as loss. For what reason, Paul? For the sake of Christ. And indeed, I count everything as loss. Everything? Everything as loss. You mean all the bad stuff that happened in your life, Paul? No, everything is loss. You know, in the first six verses, he didn't go through his resume of sin. He went through his resume of accomplishments. All the things he had done well, it's all loss. And just to give your mind a, a mental picture of what he's saying here, he says this, I've counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's it. The worth of knowing Jesus my Lord for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and I now count them as rubbish, which is a very religious word for poop. Now, sorry about the mental picture you think of here, but he's saying everything around me in this river of life is like rubbish floating. You're welcome for that mental picture, by the way. You hear what he's saying? All the things that I once held dear, all the things that I used to attach myself to and find security in and worth in and, and a sense of false hope that I held so dear to me, I'm pushing away. It's like rubbish floating around me. I've found something better. 
In verse 9, he says, These things are now rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, in verse 9, and be found in him. And be found in him. That's it. To be found in him. Not having a righteousness that comes, right, from the law. Paul excelled at obeying the law. And the people around him thought, this is a righteous man. He had this righteous persona. Paul says, I don't want to count in that. That won't, that won't save me at the waterfall. That will go over the edge with me. If all I'm trusting in is how I can impress people with my own righteousness, right, everything around me, it's going over the waterfall. I need a righteousness that doesn't come on my own. And he says this, not the one that comes from obeying the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, depends on faith. There's no other way to get this righteousness but by faith. Now, Paul's contrasting two different gains, saying, hey, I had a lot of gain in this world. I was a pretty successful guy. But I want you to know I've found something that has caused the things in this, this life to diminish to the point where now I actually consider them the opposite of gain, they're loss. If I attach myself to them, I'll lose. I found something better, and I'm shoving off from these things to take hold of one thing, and that is Christ Jesus, my Lord. Let's talk for a minute about the gain we have in Christ. If we shove off from these temporary things, what do we actually gain in Christ? I would say this. One of the most important things that I can think of, especially on Father's Day, is we gain the approval of our Father. Now, there's not a person alive who has not wanted the approval of Dad. For dad to just say, whether you knew your dad or not, whether you had a great dad or a bad dad, right, we long to hear dad say, I'm proud of you. In Christ Jesus, we have gained the approval of the Father. And that should catch you off guard every time you hear that. It should cause you to ask the question, what did I do to make him proud? I mean, because if I look at my resume, doesn't compare to Paul, I see more reasons why he shouldn't be proud of me than proud of me. How did God become proud of me? Oh, you must be talking about everybody else in the room and not me. No, talking about you. God, if you're in Christ, God is proud of you. How does that work? Here's how it works. Jesus coming to earth made God proud. His desire to be humble and to humble himself and become a servant made God the Father proud. His journey here on earth is a perfectly moral man while at the same time a perfect example of compassion and grace made God the Father proud. At his baptism, remember what God the Father says? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Said that again at the transfiguration. So we know that God the Father was proud with the son here on earth. The death on the cross, according to Isaiah 53, it brought pleasure to the father to watch his son courageously take on death. He takes death to the grave and he resurrects from the grave. And by Jesus' own words, he's saying, I'm doing all this to bring glory to the Father. And the, and the Father says, I am proud of my Son. Now here's what happens. The moment you let go of the things of this world to take hold of Christ, here's what happens. Jesus takes all the proudness of the Father and he puts it on you. And he puts his arm around you as, a, as an adopted brother or sister and says, how does it feel to have Dad be proud? He gives that to you as a gift. If you're sitting there thinking, what did I do to earn this? Jesus would say, you didn't do anything to earn it. I actually did the earning for you, and I'm giving it to you as a gift. Dad is proud of you. You have the pleasure and the favor of our Father. 
as a gift. But wait a second, how do I get that next week? What does the report card need to be to get that? Jesus says, hey, just drop your report cards. Don't bring that mess to God. Bring your humble heart, ready to believe, and that's it. And God the Father says, I am proud of you. And you have that gain in Christ. That's better than any kind of applause I can get here on earth, isn't it? You mean I don't have to work to get it and I don't have to work to maintain it? See what Paul was saying? The gain I had in what I had here on earth was rubbish compared to this gain I have in Christ. How about this? Eternal security. Scramble all you want, work all you want. In the end, there's a death sentence coming. There's a waterfall we all have to go over, right? I don't know how long your journey is going to be, and I don't even know how long my journey is going to be. But I do know this. Short of Jesus coming back, we're all going to die. And so where are you finding your security? You can find momentary security in feeling better about things around you, retirement, college fund for the kids. If something happens to me, my spouse is taken care of. Those are momentary false securities. The Apostle Paul would say to us, I found a security that lasts past the waterfall in eternal security. I, can find, I've, I found this security that says to me, it doesn't matter what happens in this life. If I die right now or if I live another 50 years, it doesn't matter. Why? Because my eyes are focused well beyond that to an eternal hope and an eternal security. And we have that in Christ. And I would say this, we have this unexplainable peace and eternal joy as a gain in Christ. The Bible says that we have attained a peace that goes beyond understanding. So let me put that in simple terms, a peace that doesn't make sense. Right? There, there is a peace that makes sense. Let me just give you an example. Um, you know the vacation that actually goes as planned, which is rare, especially once you have kids. It's rare. But those, you know, when it goes as planned, you finally make it to the destination, you got enough energy left to enjoy it, you kick back the scenery, the mountains, the beach, whatever it is, and there's peace. Don't have cell service or the phone is turned off for a moment. I have That peace makes sense, doesn't it? Right? That makes sense. But what we have in Christ is something better than that. We get a peace that doesn't make sense. We get peace not just when everything goes well, we get a peace that's there in the chaos. We have a peace and a joy that's there even when the storms of life blow against you and your life and your household. You withstand with this remarkable, unexplainable peace and joy. Paul said, once I tapped into that, I don't want the joy and peace that I can earn and figure out on my own here in this life. That's a fleeting pursuit, an ever-changing target. I've got a peace and a joy now that doesn't make sense. The circumstances around me can't change it. I could be accepted and embraced when I walk into a town and honored, or they can run me out by throwing rocks at me. It doesn't matter. I'm still at peace, and I still have a joy that the circumstances of this life can't touch. Now, I love where Paul goes next in verses 10 and 11. Let's look at this together. So after Paul says, I've got this righteousness now that comes by faith alone, and that's the gain I have in Christ, look at this. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings. Now, those are strange things to long for, right? Wanting to share in sufferings and death and resurrection. But look at what Paul says. Here's why I'm longing for those things, becoming like him in his death. 
becoming like him in his death, that by all means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I long to know him. I long to share in his sufferings. Why? Because ultimately I long to be like him. I found something in Jesus that compels me to want to be like him, that causes this radical abandonment of all these things that the world would say are gain, all these things that used to bring me esteem and worth and value. I found something in Jesus that would say, I'm ready to cast all this junk off so I can be like him, so I can be like Christ. You know, I think this was the great hang-up for what we call the rich young ruler, if you're familiar with that story. A man comes to Jesus, and evidently he was a successful, wealthy man, and he was uh, maybe um, unexpectedly successful at a young age, so we call him the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus, and he was a highly moral man, evidently, and he asks Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus starts a conversation with him about the law, about the Ten Commandments, and begins asking him some questions, and, and this guy's like, hey, I've, I've checked that one off, I've done that one. Yeah, that commandment too, I'm, I'm good there too. And, and so this guy is saying, yeah, I'm, I've done all the things to earn, right? I've done all these things to earn my way into heaven. What else do I need to do? And Jesus said, well, there's one thing that you lack. There's one thing that you lack. I need you to go home and sell all your stuff, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. See, I think we make a big mistake with that story when we think it's about money. It's not. It's not at all. It's about where this man was placing his trust. He was placing his trust in his morality. He was placing his trust in his wealth and his accomplishments. And what Jesus is saying, you can't have both. You can't, you can't hold on to those things like one log floating and then put your other arm around me. It's either all in or all out. You either want to become like me or not. And if you're attaching yourself to the things of this world, you can't become like me. His big hang-up was this, that he didn't want to become like Jesus. So the word of God says that he went home sad. He went home sad. Because Jesus was saying, well, you can't earn your way into heaven. Your journey into heaven is about letting go of this life and this earth and your accomplishments and trusting in me alone. And here Paul is saying, here's the thing I've learned. By any means possible, I'm ready to let go of everything to have one boast before God Almighty, the eternal holy God, to say this, the only reason why you should accept me is because I've taken hold of your son, Jesus. That's the only thing I have. I've let go of everything else. That's the only hope I have. Paul said, I'll let it all go for that. When we experience the grace of Jesus, it ignites something within us. It ignites this growing passion to be like him at any cost. Like him at any cost. It causes us to say, I'm willing to give all of this up for the sake of becoming like Jesus. All of it. I'll let go of any piece of this, God, if I can be like Jesus. To become like him even in his death. To become like Jesus. Now, verses 12 through 14, Paul begins to talk about human effort and how our human effort is a, it comes into the equation. I love what Paul says here. He says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. For some reason, Paul's thinking that maybe we would read what he said and think, oh, Paul arrived. I need to be like Paul then. He said, whoa, 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 let me just let you know, make sure you understand this. I'm not there yet. 
Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. Now, here's what I need to point out here. As we're going through this Redemption Stories sermon series, let's not make the mistake to think of redemption as a one-time event. Let's not make the mistake of thinking of our salvation as a one-time past tense thing that happened to me, but rather something that's still ongoing day by day. If you've been rescued by Jesus, he's continuing to rescue you on a daily basis. The father has said to you, you're my son, you're my daughter, you're mine. He's taken hold of you. Now, every day, day by day, we're learning how to become sons and daughters. We're every day becoming more and more and more of what we already are in Christ. And think about that. He knows how to be a perfect good father. He's already being that to you if you're a Christian. But we have to learn how to be day by day as what? The son or daughter. And so Paul's saying, hey, make no mistake. I'm not there yet. I'm working on it. I'm striving. I'm pressing on. But I'm not there yet on this journey of life. He says this. I haven't already attained this. I'm not already perfect. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I love this. Paul is saying every day I'm striving and I'm pressing on and I'm working hard to take hold of that which has already taken hold of me. So my rescue has happened. God has me. God has me. But every day I'm learning more and more to trust him, to grip him, to hold him, to latch onto him, to keep my focus on him. To not take my eyes off of Jesus like Peter did walking on water and place them on the problems, but to keep them up, to keep them on Jesus. To look beyond the waterfall to something better. To look beyond this life to something eternal and better. I'm not there yet, but I'm every day becoming what I already am in Christ. Brothers, verse 13, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Paul's saying that. I'm not there yet. But one thing I do, I, forgetting what lies behind, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now, here's how we typically apply that verse. We tend to think about sin only. I want to forget about my failures, and I want to think about a positive future, right? It's good therapy there. But in context, Paul's not talking about failures and sin. He's talking about accolades, He's talking about accomplishments and things that at one point brought him gain. Those are the things he's forgetting behind along with the sins and the failures. It's all rubbish. My greatest mistake, my greatest violent act of rebellion against the holy God, and even on the days where I kind of got it, almost got it right, it's all rubbish. It's all behind me. I am forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead. Now that's the opposite of what we do when we're trusting in what we can earn for ourselves. We want to postpone the end, don't we? We want to push off and postpone the end because we know our securities are fleeting and this one's only going to last me so long and then I've got to shove it aside and find something else to grab a hold of that'll bring me hope and peace and security and, and that'll only last me so long and then I've got to shove it aside and grab something else. The apostle Paul isn't hesitating on the end of life. He's swimming towards it. What a crazy thing to do. What is he saying? Listen, I can't wait to get there. I'm not scared of the waterfall. Because when, when the waterfall hits, all this junk around me is going to go over the waterfall. And at that moment, the perfect rescue is going to happen once and for all. I will see Jesus face to face. I will behold his glory fully. He will fully take hold of me. And that's it. 
That's where eternity begins, baby. And that's what I'm striving for. I'm pressing on. I'm swimming forward. I can't wait for that moment of what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in God in Christ Jesus. I want to give you the opportunity to hear a redemption story from one of our own who has come to the place in their life where they've trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone and let go of the fleeting things around them for the eternal hope that they have in Jesus. Let's go ahead and show that video if you guys are ready. For 15 years, I was a non-believer. I called myself an atheist, an agnostic, a humanist, and all kinds of other names. Um, technically, I was raised a Christian, but I practiced very nominally. Um, it was really after my parents got divorced that I kind of turned my back against God, and uh, I started searching for answers on my own strength. I searched in philosophy, in science, uh, Buddhism and uh, paganism, all kinds of other religions. Um, as long as the answer didn't point back to Christ, I would listen and I would try it on for size. And needless to say, it was pretty unfruitful. So two and a half years ago, I was really on top of the world. I had an ideal life, you know. I had graduated from college a few years back. I had a good job. Um, I had reconciled all the bad relationships in my life. And I was engaged to a wonderful man named Jason. And we were just months away from being married. Yet, I really felt like something was missing. So, um, by invitation, I started attending Solid Rock. It was a little awkward at first because, well, I wasn't a Christian, but that was a secret that I kept to myself. The awesome thing, though, was that I was immediately accepted by members here, and I really felt loved. Uh, little did I know that coming to this place was going to change my heart and slowly call me back to Christ. Uh, looking back, God had been placing believers in my life for some time, you know, in the form of friends and family, and they were really causing me to question my beliefs. But the most influential people that really uh, got me to change my mind were it was actually my then fiance Jason and Cameron Glass. Uh, for years, Jason had been gently guiding me back to God. And I kind of came to this pivotal turning point in my life. And then came Cam. He discipled me and pushed me further towards Jesus. So through the fellowship of believers, smiling faces, welcoming hugs, I began to enjoy my time at Solid Rock. I engaged in long conversations with members at restaurants and in our home. And um, I would sit and listen and learn and be loved on in life group. Slowly, several months had passed 
And I finally just, I came to this moment of salvation in my car of all places. I was driving to church one Sunday by myself when I just randomly turned off the radio and began to pray. Um, it was the first time I had spoken to God in years. I was terrified. What do I do now? You know, uh, I was afraid of what this meant. And in that moment, I realized that I was mad. Not just mad in general, I was mad at God. And that meant that, you know, I was afraid of not being forgiven. A few months later, still struggling with my newfound faith, I was married to Jason as a Christian in a beautiful ceremony or uh, officiated by none other than Cam. Uh, I'd like to say everything fell into place after that and that it was an easy transition for me. But it took the better part of a year for me to really come to terms that I could have redemption in Christ. Um, and in that year, I was tested and tried. Shortly after being saved, I was diagnosed with bipolar depression. I almost, I almost destroyed my new marriage. I almost destroyed my life. I spent two weeks in a mental hospital for attempted suicide. But were it not for my faith and my friends and family and the church, I probably wouldn't have made it through. Sometimes God has to save us from ourselves and show us that he has a better plan for us. But this past year, I got to witness my own personal miracle. I call her Charlotte. Just getting pregnant was a miracle of sorts with my health issues, but when Charlotte was born at just 28 weeks, I got to see a real miracle. I remember standing in the triage room, begging God to save my child. And when I finally got to see the, the tiny person that I had prayed for, I was awestruck. My faith was completely reaffirmed. I saw firsthand the power and mercy of God. My journey to Christ has been long and arduous, but here I stand, a believer. I'm Sam Fishbeck, and this is my redemption story. What a powerful story of redemption. Uh, Sam was baptized in our 815 service. We may even have a picture of that. I don't know if you guys captured a picture or not. Um, yeah. There you go. 815 service. There's her husband, Jason, and then Cam Glass in the background. That was this morning. And then 10 o'clock service, we had two more amazing redemption stories and baptisms. And, and so I want to just stop for a moment because... Um, I don't know everybody in the room. I know most of you, but I don't know everyone. And I have no idea where a lot of you are on your journey through life. And if you have not come to that pivotal moment that Sam just talked about, that pivotal moment that the Apostle Paul came to, that pivotal moment where many Christians that you may know have come to in their life where they've said, you know what, I'm ready to let go of the things of this world, the things that I can do for myself to take hold of Christ, to trust in him, him alone. That's what we mean by trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation. I want you to know today is the day, the day of redemption for you. 
And I'm going to pray for you now. If you don't mind joining me in prayer, I'll invite the worship team to come back up. And let's spend some time praying together. And if you're at that moment, that pivotal moment, and you're ready to trust in Jesus, um, here's how this needs to take place. You need to pray yourself. Pray with your own words and your own heart. It could go something like this. God, today I choose to believe. God, today for the first time I'm ready to abandon what I can earn for myself in this life, what I can gain for myself in this life. God, I'm ready to let go of this illusion of comfort I've been chasing, this applause of man I've been working so hard for. God, I'm ready to lay down the facades, lay down the performance, and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. God, I'm ready for you to take over the story of my life and write a better story. A story that doesn't end at the waterfall, but a story that ends in eternity where I will spend my days with you. If that's you today and you've been thinking about becoming a Christian and maybe for the first time you prayed that prayer or a prayer like that prayer, let me just encourage you and invite you to share that with one of us today. And in just a moment, we're gonna have our prayer partners at the back and they'll be here to pray for any situation going on in your life. And they would be so encouraged to hear about your decision to trust in Jesus today. So I'm going to invite you in a moment, if you would, to share that with, with one of them. Maybe this morning you want to just spend some time seated, praying, and working out some things with God. You Feel free to do that. If you want to go grab one of our prayer and counseling rooms and just spend some time in there praying, you're free to do that as well. The rest of us are going to stand to sing now celebrate this amazing adoption.